Welcome back to Serious Fun. This week, my guest is Mike Bledsoe. Mike is currently the CEO of The Strong Coach, which is a personal development program for world-class coaches. He's also one of the founders of Training Camp for the Soul. If you love this episode and you want to follow Mike, you can check him out on Instagram at Mike underscore Bledsoe to learn more about him and his work. I discovered Mike in 2013 when he was the CEO and co-founder of Barbell Shrugged, which in my mind was the most revolutionary fitness media show of its era. I've been a fan of Mike's for a long time, but I had the pleasure of meeting Mike in person at Paleo FX in 2019, and let me tell you, it has been a real roller coaster of a friendship ever since. I had the pleasure of interviewing him when I was visiting in Colorado Springs, and uh, we get into regenerative versus industrial farming, how to use words to manage your mind and tap into wisdom, and how taking responsibility as individuals and communities can solve the challenges of our world. If you like this show and you want to support, please, I kindly ask that you go wherever you subscribe to your podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and share the show with others. All right, please enjoy this serious, fun conversation with Mike Bledsoe. Good enough. There we go. Oh, shit. Yeah. <sighs> um, dude, I'm so glad that I get to do this with you now because after this road trip, you make so much more sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why? Why? Well, it takes a certain type of grit to be, uh, to be able to be at home with yourself all the time. Yeah. And you've been doing this for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's part of the inspiration for me to do it is to see that it's possible, for first of all. So that, that's, like, part of the gratitude of being able to be here is, like, oh, man, you were one of the people that inspired me to do this. So, first of all, thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm really excited to be here with you. Um, first of all, uh, we're with Mike Bledsoe, the homie. And, um, yeah, we're going to have some serious fun today. I love serious fun. Good. So, yeah. what are you serious about right now? Mm. <sighs> uh, well, I've been translating serious to intentional. Great. For a while. Uh, I'd say the last, like, six months. And uh, that started with uh, a girl I was dating. And, well, you know, how serious are you? Like, a lot of and not really that serious. I don't, serious. I don't, but I'll be intentional. Mm. And that actually made her really dig me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chicks dig intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, right now I am in the process of really uh, growing uh, two businesses. Uh, one I, I touch lightly and the other one I um, touch heavily. And yeah, I, I'm very intentional about that. I'm spending a lot of time, energy, uh, a little obsessive about it. So one is, and, and, and that's really a stepping stone. So getting that business to a point where, and my goal is to get all my businesses to a point where they don't need me. Mm. My, ter- my participation is voluntary. Mm. And um, that, that seems to be the most rewarding experience experiences in business that I've found. Um, I'm also very, I'm very intentional, I guess you could say serious, about a, uh, a project where we're putting together um, a group of people to buy a large piece of land for the purpose of regenerative farming and hosting retreats and also community living. So for someone who might not know what regenerative farming is compared to what, what like they might perceive to be farming as, what's the difference there? So um, the way that the typical farming is done in the United States and, and a lot of other places in the world is there's a lot of tilling that's going on and that the tilling is actually disrupting the topsoil um, a- 
it's it, it's useful. It's a great short-term farming strategy because what it does is it pulls the nutrients up from you know maybe a few feet a foot underground up to the surface and and uh, gets things moving around and makes the ground soft enough to plant seeds and you know there's there's a whole method that goes along with tilling, um, uh, but also uh, one of the that, that's one of the issues. Another issue is just monocultural farming. That is a farm that only grows one thing. Uh, two of the biggest uh, farms in the United States would be corn and the other one being soybean growers. And so it the one plant being grown on the same ground over and over again basically just keeps pulling the same nutrients out. And um, there's... So what's happening is the farmers are... Pull, pulling the nutrients out of the ground, putting them into the plant and then selling the plants. But then there's nothing putting the nutrients back into the ground, especially when you only have one single crop. And so what farmers are doing is they're buying supplies, a lot of them from Monsanto. They're buying fertilizer. Uh, they're, burning, they're buying fertilizer that's made from oil, for one. Um, they're uh, buying, and, and the fertilizer is only good for growing things quickly and in large quantities, not of high nutrient value. Um, and so they're having to buy the seeds, they're having to buy fertilizers, they're having to buy uh, all this stuff outside of the farm. They bring it to the farm and they output, um, uh, they output plants. And so it's problematic because uh, they're using the soil and it's just the soil is just getting less and less nutrient dense, which means that if I look at if I go to a grocery store and I look at the average vegetable, it actually is not that nutrient dense compared to if I go to regenerative farm mm. and I eat a carrot there versus a carrot on the shelf at at Walmart or even Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. They taste very different. Mm. One is very rich in flavor and the other one is kind of bland. But if you've never had access to that level, you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so regenerative farming is where you really don't need anything coming in from the outside and there's a lot of things going on inside that it's it's regenerative of the land so it's regenerative of the soil so it's not just taking nutrients out it's actually putting nutrients back in a lot of nutrients back in and so uh, there's been many cases of people who've started farms in areas that were considered to be lost like the the land had been damaged too too much of a degree um and so uh the yeah the idea is yeah you have you have uh an eio farm an old mcdonald <laughs> eio farm <laughs> which is yeah you have the chickens you have the livestock you have um you have multiple different types of plants being grown and there's a rotation going on and so um, if one part of the land is getting gotten too much exposure to something, you rotate something that regenerates it and makes the soil healthy again. And uh, there, there's just there's so many details we could go into, but the general concept is that our modern agriculture is primarily uh, just taking from the soil and not giving back in. And regenerative farming is uh, really honoring the natural. Uh, like really looking at nature and mimicking that and then and then creating structure around that in a way that is we're being good stewards as human beings on the planet by saying, okay, we're going to really take care of the planet and the planet's going to take care of us. And uh, so the, my, my motivation for, for doing that is something I've been really paying attention to since 2011 when I, when I read Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. And he visited a, a, a what was called a biodynamic farm in Virginia, run by a guy named uh, Joe Sa- uh, Joel Salton. And this whole concept was brought to me. And I go, I realized that as he was walking us through that in the book, it's like this is the highest quality food. You know, one of the reasons people need to take uh, nutritional supplements in the United States is because the nutrients aren't in the food, so you got to. We had to somehow extract it and put it in a pill for you to swallow mm. or whatever. And so uh, even if you're shopping at Whole Foods, it's not that nutrient dense mm. by comparison yeah. of something that's really uh, not been fucked with too much. As you're explaining this to me, 
I'm actually uh, a lot of dots are clicking for me because mm. agriculture is something that pre-exists the modern economy. And it was its own form of economy. Mm-hmm. But back then, before we had uh, what would be more of a capitalist system, we had lots of craftsmen. So you had people that worked with metal, you had farmers, you had craftsmen, artisan type of experience. And then as the modern economy changed, as we moved into a more industrial age, uh, farming particularly needed to be uh, systemized in order to be effective in the market. And so over time, the way to be more exact and precise with your production is to start doing things that chemically that you know are reliable despite the fact that you know it might completely damage the soil. You know that you can get this over and over and over again. So it's become like this uh, system that has evolved over time that now seems like and and probably is the the big bad wolf, the Monsantos of the world that are now genetically making soybeans that are uh, that won't grow beyond a certain season, so they're set to die genetically. So you have to keep rebuying the seed and the beans, yeah. so you can't re regenerate with your own stuff because it actually dies. So there's that. It's made to die. It's made to die. Ex- exactly. And so. Um, what I'm seeing around the world right now is that there's this big like push away from the middle, either into like insane tech and, and efficient agriculture or technology where like fewer hands are touching, more robotic, more automated, more predictable. But there's also been this high shift towards the artisanal side or the creative side, the craft side. And because technology exists now that didn't exist before, these artisans, these craftsmen, these regenerative farmers, these metal workers, these woodworkers that would never compete on price can be seen, find an audience, and get their message out there. And so there are going to be some people that participate in the really big industrial complexes of the world. But I think what I'm seeing and what I'm designing in myself is more intentionally made things, more intentionally done things. And this farming practice, it sounds like it has to be so intentional because you're not just farming one thing and manipulating a few variables. You're trying to create this whole ecosystem that feeds off of itself. Yeah. the, The problem with the problem with what you're talking about is minimizing variables is when people are minimizing variables, they're actually, um, and trying to, they're isolating, right? So if, there's these two words I've been playing around with. So I want everyone to close your eyes. Yeah, take a deep <sighs> breath. And I want you to to see with your mind's eye. When I say the word isolation, What's the picture that popped up in your mind? And if you didn't see anything. Oh, I saw something. I know you did. Okay. Because you have practice <laughs> of this. But if you, people don't. Mm. Every word that uh, you hear or say or think creates a picture in your mind. And that picture then can manifest into reality if you choose to. Now, we know that before things get manifested in the physical reality, it must first be manifested by the mind. And so if we control the mind or we dictate the mind or we, we, uh, we manage the mind well, then we can manage our physical space well, too. Uh, so I'm going to try this again, and I'm going to say isolation. What's the picture that comes to your mind? And what we're doing is we're going to tap into wisdom here. Isolation. All right, what do you hear? What do you see, Brooks? For me, it was uh, a cold, dark room by myself with a bed, almost like a prison cell. Mm, that was yeah. what came up for me. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I have something similar. Mm. Isolation is doesn't feel good. Mm-mm. There's something about it. It's something built in into your into your system deep down. And I imagine I would love for people hit us up on Instagram or wherever you want to contact contact me on Instagram. But I want to hear. Like, what did you see? And I'm, I'm going to make a post about this this week. Yeah. Now, close your eyes again. So everyone got their isolation picture. Let's take a breath. Uh, cleanse the palate of the <sighs> mind. Uh, now, integration. Man. The first thing that came to mind was this like beautiful quilt 
of all the things that I love just quilted into one thing. And I was like wrapping myself in my own warm, cozy quilt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a reason these words have meaning to us. And there's a reason these words create visualizations. And I think a lot of times people just put these words aside. And and if you, th- to me, this is this is part of tapping into your own wisdom is slow down close your eyes what does that mean to you and so in one you're in a cold cell by yourself maybe concrete or stone and in another one you see this beautiful quilt that you can wrap yourself in and be warm and so i think the average person just throws that away and says looks outside of themselves to someone else to tell them what to do but if we look at the, these two different farming practices, one of these farm practices is an isolation practice. Mm. How can we isolate? So anytime we start minimizing variables, we're isolating. You know, it's very important for scientific research where we isolate uh, by minimizing variables. So by working with Monsanto, by by manipulating the land heavily by tilling, by um, by bringing in uh, artificial fertilizers instead of relying on natural fertilizers. Um, we're reducing the variables. We're isolating. So if you go look at a piece of farmland and it's got all one piece of thing, you look at it it's, and it's got this block and it's, it's isolated. But if you think about a farm that's integrated, it's connected. Integration is connection. Um, and the, the integration the integral or the integrated farm or the regenerative farm is is that yeah it's it's looking at all aspects of nature and saying how can instead of rejecting a piece of nature and trying to isolate ourselves from it how do we harness it for for what we want so instead of using pesticides that were designed in world war ii for the purpose of fucking people up <laughs> uh and instead we rebrand we rebranded it for <laughs> for um we took the nazis jar- uh, yeah. uh uh technology and rebranded it to kill bugs um so instead of doing that like we can grow we can go okay what in nature will keep these bugs and other things from eating our plants and destroying our crops oh there's these other plants you can grow around these plants that actually protect them Oh, not only that, that same plant happens to make the soil, uh, allows the plants to talk to each other and share information and so on and so forth. Oh, and by the way, if we want to run an aquaponic system and we have fish in a pond that are going to fertilize, it's going to be the, the highest quality fertilizer that's going into these. And we also have the fish that we're feeding from what's happening on the farm. And it's got this circular thing going on. And not not to even, like, you can go watch a documentary. I, I recommend people watch Kiss the Ground. You can get a better idea of all this. They do a really great job. But it, it's one of these systems is fighting nature. And one of these systems is harmonizing with nature. Yes. And to isolate is to fight. And to integrate is to, um, is to harness. And... Um, Anytime I start thinking about integration, so there's 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 uh, horizontal integration, right? And this may de- you may have heard a term like this used somewhere else. Forget about that. Let's think about it the way I'm going to describe it right now. Horizontal integration is saying what is available right now in this space right now that we can harness and bring together. You know, we're we got a hundred people in a room. How do we integrate these hundred people to come up with a better solution? You know, how do we use these hundred people to solve a problem or whatever? Um, but then there's also, uh, integrating over time and, in uh, one way to think about time is, uh, this has been said by, fuck, uh, I'm not remembering his name right now, but he said, there's no passage of time. There's only an expansion of consciousness. And I really love that because it makes so much sense is because the, Every moment that passes is an expansion of consciousness. Right, because we're always building on what came before it. Right. We're not leaving it behind. We're building on top of it. Right. On top of the memories, on top of the knowledge, on top of the wisdom. Right. Mm. You're adding to it. You're expanding. Um, 
Uh, some are expanding more quickly than others. Uh, and what they're doing with that expansion matters. Now, if you're expanding and isolating, then you're judging everything that came before. Mm-hmm. And you're rejecting everything that contributed to this current moment. But if you are somebody who integrates uh, over time, this is, this is actually called transcendence to transcend and include. And so what you, and there are major markers of, of development and expansion of consciousness that comes in cycles. And so people talk about transcendence and they're probably talking about this, you know, they're referencing something about time they got high or they had this big epiphany or whatever, but, but transcendence really is, is to expand, but also to include Mm. what came before. And so I think what we have with the use of technology, the technology we have at our, our hand now, while also looking at how do we integrate our space and nature, but also not throw out this technology as something that can be used to help us harness nature even more appropriately and more, more effectively. And so to me, that's, that's the real key, yeah. is using that technology that could be used to just produce more quantity right to help us also increase the quality of what we're putting out because what we have is a very quality or quantity driven economy and we have a very quantity driven we want to get the price as low as possible and we want to get as much as possible for the least amount of money yeah uh, the, the least amount of value and so like it's I think I think a lot of this was lost around World War Two and so many people, um, you know, the United States put so much effort into uh, winning the war, winning the war. And by the way in which we did that is we were able we had way more output. Mm-hmm. We had factories. Yes, we had we we led the industrial age and we used that industrial uh, knowledge and technology to create weapons and also to, to it was after that that the United States government decided to subsidize corn and soy because they knew that if you cut off food if you run out of food you can't fight a war mm-hmm. and they go well how can we make food as cheap as possible okay corn is easy to grow and it's something easy to manipulate and it just grains in general Grains in general, you can store for years in a silo. Other things you can't store for so long. So, you know, these grain-based carbohydrates are extremely cheap. There was a lot of incentive into build into building a, an infrastructure that supports the the massive growth of these crops. Yeah. And what's even crazier is that now we have like so much land dedicated to corn and soybean and things like that, and most of, a lot of it is going to feed animals that we've put on another plot of land that are isolated by themselves on this other plot of land, like cows, for example. Yeah. Now they're isolated, and to me, I'm like, okay. They may not have conscious frontal lobes uh, uh, being able to self-identify as a as a cow, but they know stress and they know psychological damage. Cows can know that, too. Even though they can't self-identify, they can know when things aren't natural. They can know yeah. when they're isolated. They can know when they're out of touch with nature, and they pass that on in their tissues, and we're consuming the food. Well, they're experiencing stress, Yes, and more cortisol is going to make for a less healthy meat. Uh, it's going to create more inflammatory fats in that meat. It's They're it, also consuming a less diverse variety of food. So yeah. they're only getting a certain amount of nutrition. So, so I'll, walk not you, fully. I'll walk you through this, how this works. So so we subsidized corn. We'll just focus on corn so that we could build up wealth as a nation and have the strongest military possible. And we we were – the United States was not really interested in war too much until Woodrow Wilson fucked up, and he later admitted that he did by getting us in World War One, which then set us up to go into World War II, um, which pulled us into it. Um I say us, I'm talking about the U.S. government. It's not really the people. Um, let's differentiate that. The governments are at war, not not us. Mm. Um, and so the um, they wanted to have a war machine. And so it's like we got to make cheap food so that we can spend that other money 
on creating uh, a strong military. They were successful. The unintended consequences was diabetes, heart disease, and just just an inflamed brain who that can't comprehend shit. And a and a rush in a, a larger amount of psychological disorders, a larger amount of health disorders. Second- yeah, because there's brain inflammation happening with this that people are not recognizing. People do not want to admit that the average American's brain is not functioning at a very high level at all. Yes. If you're if you're fat, your brain, your cognition is being impacted. Yeah. Even if you're a sharp person, like you're far from your your potential your potential and a lot of the reason that we have such a health crisis is because we've set up these systems to favor cheaper faster food and if you're uh, which is raising the cost uh which did raise the cost of very well-made food uh and then now that you're not eating very good food you have especially if you are uh socio socioeconomic class is lower you have to be very choosy about how you spend your money then you're you're gonna have to you know eat this cheaper food which is going to perpetuate this problem of like not feeling good, uh, uh, passing on diseases, incurring tons of debt and costs of the future for medical bills. You're seeing insurance skyrocket because it's now no longer a possible eventuality that you'll get sick that you're insuring. It's an it's an inevitability that you'll get sick in the current system. Yeah. So we've just allowed insurance companies to be money managers to hold our money that maybe they'll give us if we qualify back to us when we actually not need just it. qualify, cooperate, cooperate, yeah, comply. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you might get isolated. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the big threat. That is the big threat. And so, um, man, quite the rant. I love it. Hey, y'all should all rewind and listen to that again because he said a lot in a very short period of time. That was dense mm-hmm. and correct. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm. the and the only reason I was able to keep up is because I already know <laughs> what you're saying. Like we've been hanging out, and, yeah. and I we're on the same page. Uh, so yeah, so they, so what we did is we created all this corn and we had an abundance. We had so much corn, the scientists started coming in and having to manipulate it to make corn doesn't fucking make syrup. (laughs) (laughs) How did we get syrup out of corn? Yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense, Mm. but you fractionate it enough times. You fuck with it enough times. You genetically modify the corn well enough and you can get corn syrup, which is cheap sugar. And, and so, um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of fuckery going on out there. I mean, they all, we, was it, we, 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 the, the government ter- creates, uh, taxes on sugar coming in from other countries and then subsidize corn. And of course we get stuck with shitty sugar. Mm. So not all sugar is created equal, but generally sugar, you want to avoid it, but especially corn, you know, sugar comes from corn syrup. If so, they're putting it in to the food. That's your sign. Yeah. If they're putting it into the food. Yeah. Yeah, you eat some fruit. Yeah, there's sugar. Yeah. Occurring. Yeah, yeah but if they're putting it in, and you were talking about all the ways they different make, uh, all the different ways they could make corn, that's the cereal industry. How the many, entire cereal industry. How many different ways can we turn this same thing into a new it's brand? It's the entire center of a grocery store. Yes. Look around on the label and see what doesn't have corn. And the reason is because it's subsidized mm-hmm. and there's an abundance. And the, and the farmers are on welfare. They're going to get guaranteed payment. Regenerative farming is like 10 times more profitable. Mm. than. But it's hard to change. People don't like change. Half of the farmers out there are over the age of 70. Yeah. You think those guys are going, you know what? I should do it all different now. No. No. No, no, no. So, um, and then, I mean, yeah, you watch Kiss the Ground documentary and you know these guys are trying to teach these farmers and you can tell they're just they're there to get the free meal and a coffee you Mm -hmm. know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so so going back to the cattle so the reason so the corn subsidy is what allows for this to way for our cattle to be the raise the way they are so um what ends up happening, what the, the way it used to go is you would raise a cow, and this is where it happens in other parts of the world quite a bit. You raise a cow, it eats grass, and maybe you feed a little bit of grains here and there, and then take it to slaughter. Mm-hmm. Maybe get a little grain at the end to, like, fatten it up, and then you take it to sla- slaughter. That's all right. But what's happened now is a rancher, and by the way, I know some of these ranchers. I've heard, this is firsthand. They raise, they're really calf farmers. They only raise the calf to six months, 
And then they sell it to one of these big corporate entities that then ship them off and they take them to what's called a CAFO. And that's where you've probably driven by one. That's where you see all the cows and they're all in one spot and it's just a bunch of dust or mud. No grass anywhere, right? So this is where a cow goes to live its last six to nine months. Mm. All right. So in its last six to nine months, and, and, it's, and it's that period of time, is because you can feed a cow a bunch of grains and corn and all this stuff. It's not made to eat that shit, by the way. It's made to eat grass. Um, but what happens when you start feeding the cows gr- grains over time, the, the benefit is, is it, gets, it weighs more. And you're selling this beef by the pound. Yes. But the drawback is, is uh, the grains are causing inflammation. And the response is that the cow then starts creating more omega-6 fatty acids that produce in the meat. Whereas if it's eating grass, it's omega-3s, which is anti-inflammatory. This, the omega-6 is pro-inflammatory. So if you're eating one type of meat, you're, you are putting yourself at risk in health. But if you're eating another kind of meat, you're benefiting yourself from health. Not all meat is created equal. And this is the conversation people are not willing to have. It's a lazy mind that wants to avoid nuance and distinction. Yes. And if we want to get pull ourselves out of this, it's going to require that people take on nuance and distinction and listen and actually understand what words mean. So one of the nuances is like, is like, uh, one of the uh, one of the things that is happening is meat is bad. Is, right. is something that's been said. It's like, no, 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 no. The way we've been producing meat is bad. Yes. The way that it used to be produced and the way that it's being produced in a lot of places and the meat I eat is being produced very well. Mm. In fact, I could live primarily off of just meat and mm. and be very, very healthy. Which is, I mean, not to us, but to some people, it's, like, it's an insane and controversial thing to say that you could eat practically just meat and be super healthy. Yeah, and the only thing that's controversial to is what has been put out by the mainstream media, which is... Or mainstream science. Yeah, which is like less than 1% of the truth. Yes. And um, I love science. Oh, yeah. We're both in in alignment. But I know how much science is responsible for what I can comprehend as truth. And it's 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 tiny, it's really really tiny. So that's a whole another show for a different day. But what's happening is is because the grains are so cheap, they can then fatten up the cows with this. But you know what? You know how long a cow can survive on grains? Not very long at all, uh. because it gets infected. It's more prone to infection. The immune system depresses. It's got a lot of inflammation. You know, inflammation is, this, you know, that's that's the source of disease. It's not really the source. It's what happens before disease symptoms are are seen so they pump up with antibiotics so they destroy the entire biome of the cow and they just hop them up on uh, antibiotics and steroids and right before the cow would die on its own you know what they do that's what they slaughter that's what ends up on your plate yeah you know it's so easy to grasp this when we talk about a mammal yeah it's an easy conversation to grasp because you're like well okay Maybe this is the first time they're hearing this, which probably not, but maybe it is the first time that you're hearing that this is how meat is produced in the United States unless you're very conscious about how you get it, okay? Uh, but it's an easy thing to grasp. Oh, wow. If you're giving cows things that make them sick and you know that they're getting that it gets them sick and you know that they're getting them sick so much that you're systematically pumping them with antibiotics and steroids to counteract the sickness that you're giving them just to fatten them up, just to put it on our plate, it's easy to grasp. But if we say the same thing about vegetables, it's hard to understand. But we are depriving our vegetables Absolutely. of the nutrition that they need that makes the that the vegetables Absolutely. sick, the agriculture is sick, and we're putting that on our plate too. Yeah. And we're wondering why, and this is you said this was dense earlier, so I'm gonna try to slow it down and break this down. Imagine 
that you are a standard average citizen in the United States of America. You make an average. I'm li- triggered. Triggered. Don't don't <laughs> average. I, I I'm average and standard now. Average and standard. <laughs> don't like we're just playing this as a thought exercise. Calm down, Mike. We don't, we don't have to make you average. I'm as emotionally as triggered, and I can't hear anything else you might say. You have a family. <laughs> you have a family. Let's just say a family of four, uh, working class parents, middle class parents. Uh, cost of living compared to being a middle class citizen of the 50s, the 60s, the 70s is actually higher than it used to be. Uh, your dollar doesn't stretch as far as it used to be. For the last 40 years, 50 years of your life, you've only had a certain selection of food, which is cheap, which is in the middle. You've had the meat that's coming from this industry that we're talking about. You've had the vegetables that's coming from the industries that we're talking and from the processes that we're talking about. You then, you go, okay, Uh, I'm making these choices because I have to from an economic standpoint. This is the system that I've been given. Then I start to notice that everyone in my family is, is, we get sick pretty often. And so we need to go see the doctor. And we do the primary care thing. And, you know, the the primary care physicians of this era are well-intentioned. But I can tell you personally that I've taught very many primary care physicians how to be healthy they are experts in disease and how to cure disease, but they're not experts in being symptom disease symptom management. management. Disease symptom management. Yeah, exactly. Not even disease management. It's symptom management. Correct. And there. And again, and this by is the a- way, yeah, I'm with you. I interact with a lot of people in the medical field. This is this is true. Yes. This Medi- is this is not always, but this is this is rampant. Ninety nine percent of prof- these medical professionals are they're not. They're not trained to do anything other than And that. you're starting it's not to their, see. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it is their fault. They're responsible, they're responsible, but I'd say, like, yeah, it's not their – they didn't, they didn't, they didn't choose it. Yeah. yeah, when they went to medical school, they thought they were getting something else. Correct. But then by the time they finished, they've been so indoctrinated that they can't even see another option. Yep. So you're working your, uh, uh, you know, your middle class family. You've you've been participating in the system that you were told was supposed to work. You've gone to the schools you're supposed to go to. You've eaten the pyramid like you're supposed to. You've gotten the job like you're supposed to, and you have insurance, which is really nice because that's also a pretty, you know, it's a nice luxury. They used these to days. require it. Used to require it, and so you <laughs> For had a good two years until exactly they realized that they were. That was uh, a was violation tough. of human rights. But yeah, uh, <laughs> that's exactly right. So yeah. so you've participated in the systems and. Uh, despite the fact that you've done everything that seemed like it was things supposed to do, people in your family and all around you are getting really sick later in life. And the bills are stacking up a lot. And you go and you're like, hey, insurance company, I've been paying you for the last 20 years. You've been taking my wa- I've been paying you out of my wages to hold this money for me because I didn't know if I was going to need it. And now I need it. And then an insurance company says, yeah, we're not going to cover this, that, or this, or the other. And they've held your money and they've made money off of your money. And they're not going to give you your money back when you need it. Now, here's the problem. And not it, only that, the the insurance companies are dictating, dictating the policy of how doctors can treat. The, dictate, the policies of the insurance companies dictate the standard of care that the doctor can give you. Which is separate from what they may have learned in medical school. Mm-hmm. I know Which people. Is, most know, medical schools are also funded by pharmaceutical companies. And I know people know. that work in medical device sales that got a degree in marketing that are teaching doctors how to use the equipment. Yeah. That's what they do. And you're like, whoa. So my point is this. Now, all of a sudden, healthcare costs are going way up because more people are experiencing higher levels of sickness. So even though our mortality rate, the level at which the, the age at which we die has gone up, our, or excuse me, has gone down, our morbidity rate, the amount of time that we spend sick, has been skyrocketing for decades. And they track very closely to the rise that Mike was describing from post-World War II, where these industrial systems start to take over. They had their purpose, but they were d- designed for a short-term solution of war that have been co-opted by companies and slap some marketing on to be sold as the norm. And now what you're seeing is health insurance, health care costs, uh, uh, are insanely high because everyone is sick, and everyone is sick because that's the food that we've been given. Yeah. By the way, I've got a solution for this. So if this is freaking you out, and you're like, 
you feel like it's hopeless. No, that's why we're having. Yes, I've tell got them. a very simple solution. And please tell them because that that is the point. We are talking about this one household. Now multiply that by a hundred million households. You know, or however many households we have. But in the I want to make one one other thing is, uh, you know, if you if you're eating a lot of food that has pump full of antibiotics and steroids, you know what you're going to get at the doctor. Antibiotics and steroids. That's right. <laughs> just just so you know, like that's yeah. like it's someone who goes and. Those are like two medications that are prescribed really heavily. Yeah, um, and not not anabolic steroids. Yes, I'm talking about other types of steroids. And so, so uh, the, to to close this up into a nice little loop, I want to share the what I've loved about regenerative farming is that it starts to tackle this issue on a large scale. Because not only is it going to improve and possibly solve the challenges with industrial farming, that's going to have secondary and tertiary effects that are going to improve the marketplace of health and well-being because now yeah. things, now people won't be as sick as often, which means they won't, it won't be as costly. And, you know, our, our economy, the United States economy, among many reasons, is very, very stressed and a part of that is because of the uh, uh, cost that it's costing the average citizen uh, to be sick in the country which now as we've talked about is a near inevitability if you follow the prescription i want to say uh, obesity rates at 70 percent and farmers uh, chronic pharmaceutical drug use is at 55 percent and 15 percent of the u.s population is on psychiatric drugs that's that's more than one in ten that means that more than one in ten people driving down the road are fucking on psychiatric drugs. Hmm. Driving a killing machine. Hmm. Um, and uh, and then the the other fifty-five uh, percent are on some type of. I've I don't think I've ever taken a drug from a doctor where it didn't impact my level of consciousness. Level of consciousness and just uh, like besides the temporary moments of uh, feeling good while the drug's on, the the, the off of it. It's I mean, my like, ability to be present is always impacted. Mm. Well, yeah. So like I said, regenerative farming seems to start to tackle these things. And it, because you're here, I'm going to indulge myself. Um, a lot of these macro concepts are are once you start to see them and once you start to pull at it and unravel, you, you allow yourself to realize, I mean, you know, a lot of the things that we take for granted as normal are so new in the context of humans. Mm -hmm. And we are still in the experimental phase of seeing how that shows up on a massive scale. And the number one experiment that I have just been in, uh, racking my brain lately is I have now come to the belief, and again, this is a story that I'm playing based on observation, that part of the challenge that we're living in in 2020, uh, a decision was made in 1988, I believe, to call the to make the first reality TV show. <laughs> and although at first it was really raw, and it was very close to reality, those early uh, real, was it? real world. Oh yeah, and so Real when world. when I think it was the first season or the second season, one of the cast members had he he you know came out as as HIV positive and he actually died. And so like there were some very raw moments of reality TV, but as industry does, it takes this art or this craft and it says, how can we reproduce this? Well, it starts to produce things, and it started as soon as you start to produce things. You're no longer allowing things to be reality, and yet we've called it reality TV ever since, and it's become the number one TV genre. And we know that it's not reality, and we've opted in to calling it reality even when we know that it's not. Yeah. And so to me, uh, now that I've like experienced some massive like cognitive shifts just around my language, my personal language, how I describe myself, I'm thinking about it on a 350 million Americans slash three and a half billion uh, uh, humans around the world that have adopted this language of calling reality when inside we know that it is not. Yeah. And and now. Well, maybe not now, as we're sitting here. Uh, Joe Biden is the presumptive winner of the presidential election, but we had. Well, that's a, that's what the media is saying. That's what they're saying, and who knows? I sound usually as the media goes, so too goes the election. Yeah. But my point is, is yeah. that we've gotten to this place. Look, it's besides the people that are 
emotionally invested to the point of not being able to use critical thinking, it is pretty clear if you have critical thinking that the type of politics that we have now is a complete dog and pony show. And we may choose and favor one side over the other, but all things being equal, I think we can all agree that shit's really wild in 2020. Yeah, I I don't care who got voted in. Shit was wild. It's fucking gross. And again... (laughs) I think a lot of it, again, this is like wild to say this, but I think a lot of it is starting from the fact that we've uh, we've allowed ourselves to call things reality when we know inside that it's not. That when a person shows up like Donald Trump who will now just blatantly say that things aren't real, when you can see with your own eyes that they are, people are just like, sure, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. And it, it, like we are hitting what I hope to be, we're really what I hope to be a tipping point because we've shifted from the industrial age and industrial revolution. They're calling it a different industrial age. I, 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 I prefer to call it the digital age. We're mm-hmm. transitioning from one age to the other, and all the systems that we built to support the age are now no longer as, they don't fit. It's like putting a square peg in a round hole now. We're building this new era, and again, we started this by saying regenerative farming. Regenerative farming is one way. Uh, you're seeing like more natural like bioarchitecture, where people are integrating architecture instead of uh, isolating architectures, instead of stripping the land and then laying some houses and some concrete and then covering up and recreating grass there are architects that are actually taking nature into account and singapore is like a really high example of some people uh, of a of a nation in a small it's a small scale but they've used green technology in architecture to now clean up their systems so much so that certain animals have returned to the to the seas and the rivers that weren't that haven't been seen in like decades yeah and so it's possible <clears throat> We're now living in the age where this is possible, but what it takes is people allowing their minds to open that, hey, things that worked before are not going to work anymore. What got us here won't get us where we need to go. Yeah, that, that brings us to, well, I'm not hopeless, and if you're feeling hopeless with us describing all the problems that exist, the, the solution is personal responsibility, and uh, if anything, I've learned this past year and watching just everything happen with government and with politics is that I, I didn't realize how bad it was. It's made me pretty sad um, on how much people are relying on some magic organization in the sky is going to come down and solve the problems because you voted a certain way. Yeah. It's how many people have given up their power to something that's not it's made up and it's incentivized not to stunt not to benefit us to its highest degree no i mean government government's a governor right it's in the word it's meant to limit certain things and they limit things to incentivize behavior and and steer culture in a specific direction this is why people get so hot and bothered over elections is because everyone's worried that someone else is going to how their opinion is going to become a law and they're going to dictate your behavior. Um, and then now you're going to have to deny, deny your own conscience. And no one wants to have to deny their own conscience in the, in the face of you know, potential imprisonment or violence. And so it, I think that's one reason it gets so heated. Um, but uh, and I, think be, I think that an emotional experience then causes an identity experience and then they latch on to some savior. Um, but if you ask them if you think that Joe Biden's a savior or Donald Trump is a savior, they'll, they'll say no. But their fucking Instagram posts and their Facebook posts do not tell me. They, they might as well. Uh, I feel like they're talking about Jesus mm-hmm. at, at this point. And so um, what I mean by personal responsibility is like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? And going to the ballot box is almost nothing yeah especially when you look at how much fraud there is mm-hmm. on both sides like everyone th- this is not a game of like 
it's not a game. It's not. It's not what you think it is. It's literally it's not, built it's not in, a fair sport. It's literally built into both parties to have their own mechanisms for manipulating the vote in their favor. And uh, Republicans are really known for gerrymandering, which yeah. means they like resituate counties to get the blocks that they need to win. But Democrats are also known for like pushing the vote out to possibly people that aren't voters, aren't or, alive, aren't alive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we were talking about hope, but so. So it's There's personal hope, response. What, what are you gonna do about it? Yeah. Look at your life. What's I mean? I go look. It's it's a long process. It is not something that happens overnight. And I think it never ends. And for me, it was you know it 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 got down to like where do I what kind of food do I buy? What kind what farms am I supporting? What, what industries am I supporting? Um. You know, if I if I see a problem, I stop spending money there. I stop giving it attention. I I do my best to practice like just I ignore that and I put my attention somewhere else. I put my money, time, energy um, somewhere else. Like the toothpaste I use, the um, the food I order, um, the just so many. It's hard for me to think about right now. But like, here, like here. I spend I, I I don't watch TV. Yeah. Um, I don't pay attention to advertising. I get rid of ads as much as possible. I subscribe to things and then I pay attention to the companies I'm giving money to and what it is that they're doing in the world. And so like even me, when I look at my own life, I go, wow, I buy mostly from farms that are doing good in the world. I put out good shit on Instagram. I, I try to help people as much as possible. I look at my, the totality of my life and go, oh, I'm doing a pretty good job. But there's areas in which I could do better. It's like, okay, I'm, I, I live an interesting lifestyle where I'm bouncing around from Airbnb to Airbnb and it would it would be a little bit better for for me and the planet if I were to just stay in one spot. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm working towards now. But um, we got to really take personal. And here's the thing is like, what do you what I mean by what are you going to do about it is what are you complaining about? And this is where like here's the thing is you can only respond to so many things yeah. in the world you're you're limited and that's a beautiful thing we're supposed to be limited so that we can create a priority and so i think that this happens during election cycles especially is there's these dozen things you should worry about and we can take care of it mm-hmm. <laughs> no they can't mm-hmm. they're not gonna take care of it if they could have taken care of it like democrats make promises like we're going to do all this stuff. I was like, you said that for 20 years. You actually had the presidency in the House and the Senate at these different times. And what did you do with it? Oh, wait, the Republicans do the same thing. Oh, we're going to do all this stuff. It's like, you had control over everything at some point. What did you do with it? You're full of shit. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So you got to do it yourself. And the way that you do so that. Like, if, you have a, if, you, if you see a problem with like the way kids are being educated, what are you doing about it? Not how you vote about it. What are you doing about it? And so many people sit back and go, we need to do something about the environment. We need to do something about education. We need to do something about that. And they make the list. And da-da-da. I was like, but they vote with their dollars and, and support companies that don't support those ideals. Yeah. Oh, and and they're, they're unconscious that they're voting with their dollars. Correct. And, and supporting that way. But they are conscious of some might as well be God, you know, like a, a, a man in the sky prompt making promises that they're going to take care of everything. Well, I want to highlight the fact that the reason that there are uh, uh, what we would call like economic conservatives, free market conservatives, that they believe that the market is a a better governor of the world is because we get to vote every day. Whereas with our election cycles, it's every two or four years. Every day we get to vote in our economy. And it can even be for someone's like, how can I make the next step? It's just awareness. Well, this this is where the idea of government gets dangerous. And when I when I'm when I say the word government, like I I want to talk. I'm talk. I'm not talking about a real thing. Um, it's it's illusory. It's um, it's an ideal that we should an idea that we should be governed. It, it, it's something. It's 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 um, there there is no government. Like you can't point at it. It's not. It, it's a group of people who uh, the larger group of people have given authority to. Like no one can can make themselves the authority. It can only be granted by the person who needs to be authoritized to be 
there's the uh, uh, how can I say this? Community organizers have been around for generations, though. So there's one thing to organize. There's another thing to organize and with the, using violence as your as your way of keeping everyone in order, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's voluntary organization, and then there's then there's what we have. So what I'm imagining is. Because you're because we're noticing that these are challenges, instead of waiting for someone to take the lead and fix them, we can you're taking the lead by creating a community that you're that you believe in the ideals that you subscribe to. So what does that vision look like? So, well, I want to cover this real quick is the reason people I, I believe people are not taking responsibility is because they believe the government has got it handled. They you've bought into it. And when I look at these Instagram posts and I see these Facebook posts, it does make me sad because I go, this person is probably worthless the other, you know, uh, four years. Uh, you know, they, they've done one good thing in their mind that they voted, and that was a big fucking deal. Mm. It's a big deal. And in in Instagram and Facebook reminded me for two months about it. It was such a big deal that they never put out information. Never put out information, but they did the last few months. Mm-hmm. That's how much they want you to believe in it, mm. right? And if they require, they want you to vote because you have to buy in, and they have to tell you that if you don't pay taxes, that they're going to kidnap you. That's how they get you to pay taxes. They're like we'll put you in jail. We're going to kidnap you, and so. Um, it's not voluntary. And so what people have confused their conscience with obedience or morality with obedience. So people have learned to put their conscience in the back seat and just be obedient and wait to be told and be given permission in order to take action. So what? where do I have power? Oh, the only place I have power is when I vote. Mm. And so because of that, People are not taking action. They're not taking personal responsibility. They're not going out. And so one of the solutions that I have is, look, what are we going to do? We're going to wait for the government to make a law or to stop subsidizing corn and take these farmers off welfare. Not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you think that because it's going dis- to it would disrupt the food industry, uh, but it would be a good thing. It'd be painful in the short run. Um we could wait for them to subsidize something else, take our tax dollars and subsidize something they think is good. Look, these politicians, mostly a bunch of old white guys, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're lawyers. They're lawyers. Mm. They're not, they're not scientists. They're not business owners. They're not any of the things that are the people who actually run the country. Yeah. All they do is create the laws. They write things down on pieces of paper, and then they employ people with guns to make sure you follow those rules. So, what you got to do is you got to go do it yourself. You think there's something wrong with education? Go go in there. I have a friend that's about to uh, essentially create her own school. Yeah. It's going to be a school for living, essentially, for kids, where they're going to do all their math and their English and their social studies homework, and they're going to learn how to live. This is it. Yes. This is it. So you asked me about my vision. My solution is start with a farm. Start with, like, I think about if I have kids, when I have kids, where, how do I, if I'm going to be a responsible parent, what am I going to raise them in? I'm not sending them to school. The indoctrination of, like, basically indoctrination of nationalism. Um, I want to teach them that they're a human being and that everyone else is equally create, you know, equally created, not equal. You know, no one has equal opportunity. Um, we were all born on different days in different places. And so opportunities are, are uh, uh, infinite, but the, uh, w- what we can do is we can buy farmland and we can buy more farmland. And when an old farmer no longer wants to run his corn or soybean farm, we can come in and we can we can team up with people who are educating people in regenerative farming and we can buy that farm and start regenerative farming. And so slowly over time, we can heal the land. We can create food that heals people. Mm-hmm. And then we can reduce the supply of shitty food into the market and increase the supply of 
really healthy food in the market. You're literally healing the market. Healing the market. So, like, the the thing is, is when you reduce the supply of something, you automatically make it automatically make it more expensive. And when you increase the supply of something, you automatically make it cheaper. So, if we decrease the supply of unhealthy food and increase the supply of healthy food, we healthy food now becomes the cheaper food to eat. And now people have access to their health. This is not anything government could ever do. This comes from personal responsibility. This goes, I sat here and I go, what can I do? And I go, look, I'm really good at organizing people. I'm really good at, I have some ideas. You understand health. You understand systems. I understand the systems. I understand health. And I go, and I've been sitting, I've been sitting for years and going, what's the biggest impact I can make? And one of the reasons I train coaches is because I know for every coach I impact, they're going to turn around and impact thousands of clients themselves. So if I impact a thousand coaches, I impact a million people. Holy shit. That's cool. But that's education. That's interpersonal. It's all that. I've always been interested in how do we impact people on an economic level? Because we know that economics is what drives the majority of unconscious behavior. And unconscious behavior is the shit that's dangerous. Conscious behavior is, you know, makes up 5% of your experience and you do good shit there. The other 95%, you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. So, like, we have to account for the herd in that, and if we care for the herd, right? And I do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there are people who, and when I say herd, I mean people who do not take personal responsibility. Mm. Who The herd, if you are a sheep, if you are expecting someone to save you, mm. you are, you're, that's literally like you're in the herd and you're waiting for the shepherd or the sheepdog or whatever to protect you from the wolves from the, and whatever, keep you fed, make sure you're on the right pastures, all this shit. I want to make it clear that you can, you can take personal responsibility by asking for help. Absolutely, they're not the, they're not they're not mutually exclusive. This is, this is about how you respond. Your ability to respond is a responsibility, and what are you choosing to respond to? And most people are just choosing no response at all. It's just, I just want things to go back to normal, mm. right? Yeah. All right. So we did that exercise. I actually want to. I've been wanting to do this exercise. I did it on myself last week. I thought it was really good. Yeah. And just like the isolation and integration exercise. I want you to close your mind. All right. Close your mind. Close your eyes. I'm gonna close my mind and my eyes. No, I'll keep my mind open and eyes closed. I'm ready. Okay. All right. And I've only done this on myself, so I don't know how it's gonna work out for you. All right. The word is. He's going to picture something in his mind. The word is government. What do you see? The first thing that came to mind was an old colonial wigged man rebel rousing from a stump trying Mm -hmm. to get people to pay attention. (laughs) When I say government. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I saw something different. What did you see? I saw saw a building. Mm. Saw the columns. Like uh, something you'd see in D.C. I just for me it was like somebody somebody being loud for the sake of drawing attention. Mm. That's what I feel. Yeah, like. you, you maybe went like to the political. Yeah, like the politics. Rebel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. true. Oh man. Yeah, you yeah. got me. Yeah, yeah maybe. It, it, you're right. It's it doesn't matter. I want to know what what comes to mind. Yeah. All right, all right. Close your eyes again. Let's try this one. Church. <laughs> that I saw the same. Tall building, tall, yeah, like the cylinder cathedral type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about is uh, how much ritual and how much uh, government looks like church. Mm. Like the election is a ritual. Yeah. Uh, if you go to court, stand, sit, ritual. Wow. Um, the buildings are magnificent, like it like a church would be built. Wow. So like we look at all of history, like government and religion has always been like side by side and coexisted. And government has always tried to control religion and and leverage it to control people. And uh, I mean, Constantine did it right. Mm. It's how he had how he unified the Roman empire. 
for a short period of time is he brought him under Christianity. And so because everyone was serving a different God and that was causing uh, segmentation and people not to be unified under one government. And so um, and so the United States was really the first country to be like, look, man, we're going to do a government, but separation of church and state here. Mm -hmm. The the government's not going to try to leverage religion to control people. Like there's 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 a way it's interpreted now and there's a way it was intended then, which are very different. Usually when people are, are citing separation of church and state, it's for different reasons. Like it's a the interpretation has gotten pretty twisted. So I believe that the founders of the United States really saw uh saw that there was a problem with that. And it wasn't that, just like the not having a national religion. It was literally keeping the institutions of religion out, out of, of what government looks like. Because because it's because religion's so powerful. They're trying to limit the power of government. And you read the constitution, it's all about limiting the the government, not on what it can do, not the rights it can grant, but the the things limit it so it doesn't trample over the rights that are naturally God-given. Mm. And so Anyways, I bring all. Uh, I'm on. I'm off on a tangent. This here, is why. This, this, this is what. Fun. This is what me and Mike do. So I have one last prompt, uh, and it is, uh, what do you do for fun, and where does fun fit in your life? What do I do for fun? Um, shit, man, I love to travel. I do. Mm-hmm. I do that for fun. Um, I like interacting with, uh, with fun new people all the time. Um, oh, new people, but different people. Mm. Um. Man, we had a fun time last night. I've been using that that rope flow. I've been using that weck rope. Been learning some new things. I like to. I like to just. Uh, I like to train, but more like it, it's so much more playful these days. I like to play. I like to go hiking. Do that for play. My work is play in a lot of ways. Like you, you're you're it one melts of the, quite a bit. You, you're uh you've. Even you've cultivated this, so I want to say first of all, it's it's a cultivated thing. It's not something because of those systems of the way that they're set up. It's not something that's easy to fall into. So it's something that's cultivated. But you have chosen to create a harmony between your work and your playtime. Yeah, they they actually just cross over a lot, especially when I'm working with other people. There's a lot of play when you in that integrate integrate with other people. Oh my gosh! Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh! Full circle. We uh, did it. We dude. did it. Oh man. We listen. You and I will have another. I imagine that you'll we, you and I will be catching up with the microphones in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, we'll we'll go ahead and and uh, sign off here. And if you followed us all the way to the end, first of all, congratulations. Okay. Second of all, um, you probably may need to listen to this more than once because although we might have painted a picture that seems a bit doom and gloom, what we're really trying to do is highlight opportunities for us to step into a better future for what we want. And the way that we do that is by taking personal responsibility, knowing that we're not going to do it by isolating, and we're going to really create the change by integrating with other people. So I'm, I'm glad that you uh, sat on the mic and integrated with me today. Yeah, man. Thank you. Awesome, man. Thank you, everybody. Serious fun. Mike Bledsoe, out. Thank you so much for tuning in to another serious, fun conversation. This show is brought to you by you. If you like the show, you can support it by making a donation, rating us five stars, or sharing it with others. I'm committed to keeping the show sponsor-free, and I can do that with your help. You can subscribe monthly or leave a one-time donation. More information is provided in the show notes. See you next time.